welcome back to SEMA's podcast, Y'all Ready for This, where we talk about all things emergency preparedness to make sure that you and your family are ready for any type of natural or man-made disaster right here in Chatham County. This week, we are joined by the Savannah Heritage Emergency Response, Glenda Anderson. Glenda, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Chelsea. Absolutely. to be able to talk about our, our historical and cultural organizations. Yes, ma'am. We are very excited. Now, Glenda has been a huge partner of ours the last several years for as long as I've been here. So, Glenda, we're so excited to have you finally get to join our podcast after a couple of months of getting ready and, and moving forward with our podcast. So we're very excited to have you. And then listeners, my co-host today is none other than the Mark Adams. Uh, you may recognize him from our damage assessment piece. Clearly, he loves preservation and damage assessment, because those are the ones that he has been in here to talk about. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Chelsea. Glad to be here. Glad to be back. And, you know, Mark's wife gave him a hard time after the last one because of some of the things that he was doing. So he's very prepared this time. He switched his chair out. He's gotten things ready. So Jennifer, he's ready for you. And he's got everything ready to go. I'm excited that you're back, Mark. And we are going to make this one absolutely awesome. All right. So Glenda, we are talking today about preserving Chatham County's history, um, specifically talking about preservation of our historical districts and our cultural districts. So I know that SHARE, or Savannah Heritage Emergency Response, plays a really big role in that. Can you talk to our listeners about what SHARE is and what your role is within SHARE? Surely. Savannah Heritage Emergency Response is a single county, totally voluntary, cooperative, of representatives of Chatham County's natural, cultural, and historical uh, assets. And as you know, in Chatham County, we have a fairly high concentration of these, uh, one of the highest in the states and one of the highest in the nation. We have about 50 entities that have somewhere between 80 and 90 individual sites. And all of them have the opportunity to become a part of SHARE we also welcome uh, first responder and emergency management staff if they're interested in joining. We also uh, welcome uh, representatives of um, contract vendors, disaster recovery vendors, if they want to join. But our stated purpose is to act as a bridge between first responders, emergency managers, and the NCH, Natural Cultural Historical Constituency in Chatham County to promote, enable, and coordinate um, disaster preparedness and response. We are SEMA's official partner in the community for NCH assets, which not only enhance the lives, the quality of life of our citizens, but play a big role in our economic sector that is the hospitality and tourism industry. And we are also an affiliate unit within the Coastal Museums Association, which has been in existence for about 60 years or since 19, the 1960s in Chatham County, and they are also a multi-type um, NCH organization, not just museums, but all others are welcome to join. And so we, you know, that's how we begin to cover um, preserving Chatham County's history. Wow. Did you, ask, did you ask me about my role in this organization, how I got started? Yes, Cher is 10 years old. And after Hurricane Katrina, a national organization called Heritage Preservation went around the country organizing what they call Alliance for Response Forums, which were intended to bring together, usually for the first time, 
people from the first responder and emergency management professions with people from the artistic and cultural professions to talk to each other because they inherently speak different vocabularies and they approach this whole issue with totally different viewpoints. So we needed to start working together because there were a number of really bad things that happened in trying to recover that kind of asset in Katrina. So we hosted one of those in Savannah in December of 2009 and SHARE was founded in 2010. So we just celebrated 10 years of working last year and we are now in our 11th year working in Chatham County. And I was one of the co-founders along, at that time I was director of the city of Savannah Research Library and Municipal Archives and I was one of the co-founders of SHARE along with Lynette Stout, who was then with the Georgia Historical Society in Savannah. And there are about 30 of these groups around the country. Um, and we, are, we have one right here in Savannah. We have one other one in Georgia, which is Heritage Emergency Response Alliance in Metro Atlanta, that's HERA. And they sort of serve to try to communicate with counties outside um, Metro Atlanta other than Chatham when there's an approaching event or when they may need recovery assistance that they don't have a great deal of capacity for within a lot of Georgia counties or within a lot of Georgia counties EMAs as well. We are very fortunate here in the relationship we have with SEMA. Well, Glenda, you brought up Hurricane Katrina and of course that makes us all think of Hurricane Matthew here in Savannah and Chatham County. So what are some examples of cultural historical assets within the county that would need to be protected from a hurricane? Well, we have a lot. <laughs> like I said, we have about 80 or 85 that are mapped on the Savannah Area Geographic Information Systems SAGES layer for cultural and historical entities. And in Georgia, we just launched a new online um, directory for disaster preparedness called GANCH, the Georgia Natural Cultural and Hysteric historical online directory for disaster response, which can be searched by county or by GEMA district in the state. And there are about 113 listings there for Chatham County. But we have archives and libraries like the Catholic Diocese Archives and the Savannah Municipal Archives and the Georgia Historical Society. We have historic sites that are basically covering the African-American heritage, like um, the Pinpoint Heritage Museum, the Ralph Mark Gilbert Civil Rights Museum, and one of our newest, the Savannah African Art Museum. We have historical sites that are associated with um, organizational or institutional uh, entities like the Bethesda Academy or the Massey Heritage Center or the Georgia State Railroad Museum. We have um, academic libraries, Armstrong, Georgia Southern. We have Savannah State, we have SCAD. And then we have all of the Live Oak Public Library um, entities, which there are 13 of them. We have art museums, big ones like the Jepson Center for the Arts, the Savannah College of Art and Design Museum. We have lots of historic houses, Andrew Lowe, Juliet Gordon Lowe, Isaiah Davenport, Owens Thomas, all of those. Um, we have uh, museums that are just general on a specific area like the American Prohibition Museum, Bloomingdale and Thunderbolt have their own municipality museums. Congregation Mikvah Israel has their own museum and archives. Ships of the Sea just goes on and on. Military, Fort Pulaski, Old Fort Jackson, the Webb Military Museum downtown. Then we have all our natural sites, either 
botanical marine life or wildlife. We have the, the coastal Georgia Botanical Garden, the Chatham County Botanical Garden, Oatland Island Wildlife. We have Skidaway Island State Park, Wormslow State Historic Site, and Tybee Island's fantastic new Marine Science Center site. We have public records centers that are not the city halls, they're separate buildings. Chatham County has a big um, hurricane hardened public records site um, away from their downtown buildings. Um, the Savannah Chatham County Public Schools has a records, uh, historical records storage site. Tybee Island also has one that is separate from their city hall. And then we have all the little municipalities in Chatham County that have their own city halls where they're holding minutes, deeds, licenses, all sorts of permanent records. So there's the whole gamut of the kinds of things that we have to look out for. And that's, that's only the institutions that are public and open to our citizens and our guests. When you talk about the private resources, then we've got all those historic districts. And those are more under the purview of um, entities like the Savannah His Historic Review Board, the planning that goes on by the Metropolitan Planning Commission and the efforts that are made by entities like the Historic Savannah Foundation, which is specifically interested in the buildings and the districts. Um, so we have both public resources and a lot of private resources that are not necessarily open to the public, but they're still part of what constitutes that fabric in Chatham County um, for the hospitality and tourism industries and the great quality of life that we enjoy here. So it's a lot to think about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no kidding, Glenda. Oh my gosh. So there were some that I was like, oh yeah, that's a given. And then you kept going and I was like, wait a second. I didn't even put in place all of the different pieces that as you so eloquently put the fabric that makes our community. I mean, you're absolutely correct. That That's a lot of responsibility. So how is the responsibility of you know this disaster planning for preservation of Savannah and Chatham County, those historical and cultural assets, how is that addressed in our community? Well, of course, each in entity itself has to have an emergency plan. And you know, every site has to look at at least three elements of what they are, are safeguarding. They have to think about their buildings. They have to think about their collections in their buildings. And they have to think about their grounds. And so, you know, there's some basic things that everybody has to do. You have to inventory. What is it you actually have? You know, do you have exotic plants? Do you have irreplaceable pieces of artwork? Do you have um, the charter for your government? Or do you have the deeds to everybody's property? Do you have the maps? What, what is it you have? You have to inventory. Um, then you have to prioritize, and this is the most difficult step, both for public institutions and for people standing in their own living rooms and family rooms at home. You have to decide what are your top priority items, the ones that you would take the biggest steps to safeguard and the ones that you would evacuate if that became a necessity. And those are some of the biggest arguments that go on in institutions and in homes. You know, what do we evacuate? What do we take with us? And what do we shelter in place and try to safeguard? And then there are a number of ways of safeguarding. You can replicate items, um, you know, turn your photographs into CDs, um, make other copies and send them to um, institutions that are like yours out of the area. 
you can make plans to have agreements with like institutions outside of Chatham County, other parts of the state or in other states for, to actually receive your collections if you evacuate them. Um, if you make that kind of plan, then you have to think about, do you have the transportation? Do you have the proper containers? And you have to document you know, what goes into each container and who is responsible for it. Um, they have to think about their staff, of course. They have to think about um, what sort of contingencies do they have in their personal lives that affect their ability to assume non-daily emergency response and preparedness type roles um, do they have small children? Are they taking care of an elderly adult? Um, you need to have your at least one person and a backup person lined up for each role that needs to be filled. So there's all of that that goes on for the, the institutions themselves. And then with SEMA, over 10 years, you know, a lot of things have developed that are community-wide. You know, SEMA includes NCH planning in their emergency operation plan and in their disaster recovery plan and they itemize specific responsibilities that institutions have as part of this constituency within the community to try to fill. So those are always goals that we're working toward. Not every, not every institution has all of those bases covered yet. But as I said, we do have our institutions mapped on the SAGES layer, which facilitates damage assessment and um, recovery operations because we have GIS coordinates for all of them. Um, in the Emergency Operations Center, as you know, we also have a dashboard in the WebEOC software where we have primary and secondary cell contact information for officials with not all of these institutions, but a, a large number of them, and we're continually trying to grow that. So that means they get initial information for preparation and finding out if they're going to have to evacuate or if they're going to have to shelter in place and what the storm inundation uh, forecast may be like or that how much flooding you're going to have. Um, so we have that. Um, we have a relationship where we have two great points of contact in SEMA, a primary and secondary. Mark is our primary contact and his backup is um, Aaron Thompson. And so we know that if something's going on, they're going to contact our representatives. We're going to get the word out on our listserv. And then when we're having conference calls, we now have the opportunity to have a representative participate in SEMA's daily conference calls so that we can communicate to our folks what's going on and they know whether to shut their doors and evacuate or this is not gonna be a major event, just take your preliminary steps. So there's a lot going on, a lot of coordination. Um, and then my, you know, one of the things that I do now that I'm a member of a state advisory board is I try to act as a, a coordinator and a liaison between uh, SHARE, CMA, SEMA, and our entities up the line that support us. We have a, a representative on GEMA who is focused on NCH issues. Um, so that's our state level contact. And then our national level contact is somebody who's in FEMA's um, Heritage Emergency National Task Force Office. And of course, she can connect us with professional organizations that might help specific entities that have very specific types of materials that would need particular attention or particular care taken, you know, with regard to them. So it's a it's a multi-layered kind of distributed responsibility for making sure that these things um, are properly planned for 
and that they're capable of surviving or being salvaged if we ever get the big one, you know, which we're hoping we never get. <laughs> well, Glenda, it sounds like there's a lot of effort that goes into planning uh, for these events to happen. Uh, but along with that, there's some steps that uh, organizations can take to prepare uh, their buildings. And one of those is just upkeep. So what are some uh, steps or things that uh, these businesses can do to upkeep and maintain their buildings to help uh, keep them safe during these events? Well, they need to do an initial risk assessment. And again, look at three areas, their buildings, their collections, and their grounds. So they need to know um, their context, you know, get out and look around your building. What do you see? Look up at the trees around your building. How many of them have limbs that are hanging that have already broken off that haven't fallen yet? And how many of them have limbs that have dead leaves on them? So you get the idea that if the big wind comes through, they're going to fall. You know, what can you do for tree maintenance and grounds maintenance? Look at the storm sewers in your immediate vicinity. Um, are they clogged? You know, if we have a heavy rain, like we did with a recent event, um, how much water could possibly come into your building? Um, think about the fact that um, now people can have fireworks within the city limits. So a lot of those people, instead of choosing fireworks, will shoot off firearms. They go up, they come down through your roof. <laughs> they make little pinpoint holes sometimes that allow water to get in. So anytime you have a big rain or we have a fireworks weekend, you need to go up in your attic and check and see, is there anything damp up there? Um, your roof is always one of the most critical areas of your building because water intrusion is among the most damaging aspect, both to buildings and collections. Um, you wanna think about um, what's, you know, shrubbery around your building. How is it affecting um, your windows, for instance? After a big rain, do you check your, you can check your windows, especially if you have historic windows, um, to see if you've got any water intrusion there because you'll have your frames rot and you'll lose your glass and it'll become more vulnerable to wind. So there's a lot of things, you know, and along with that annual maintenance inspection. You know, you can get prepared checklists that tell you things to look for. Um, along with that, you need to have a capital planning program so that you don't continually defer big maintenance items like a re-roofing that really need to be done or um, a big move that might be done. If you have a multi-story building, you want your collections up out of the basement whenever possible so they're less vulnerable to flooding. Always at least six inches off the floor. You don't want any boxes of collections of any kind sitting anywhere on the floor, any of your floors. And also, if you have a multi-story building, you don't necessarily want, want your highest priority items sitting right under your attic. You want to maybe in the middle, on a middle floor of your building, where if you lose your roof or you have roof leakage, they're less vulnerable. Um, so they're there things that you can do and lots of things like that that can be done. Um, and there are also risk assessment tools that are put out by most of the professional organizations. The museums organizations have them, the archival organizations have them, the library organizations have them, so that you can walk through your building um, once a year and look, you know, is there any cracking in your ceiling or your walls that indicates that there might be some foundation problems going on? Um, how dark is or around your air ducts? Um, is the 
intake looking? You know, do they need to be clean? All of those sorts of things keep your building much, much better to be able to be recovered, um, you know, if it experiences a disaster event. Does that sort of answer your question, Mark? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And a, and a lot of that is just good tips for homeowners and business owners. Those are things that you can do, you know, day in and day out to make sure that you're prepared. Yeah. All right. So let's say, I'm going to knock on all wood so that this doesn't happen, but let's say that there is a storm that comes through our area and some of our historical or cultural areas are damaged. What do they do? How can they start to reconstruct or rebuild if they have this? historical, you know, status and they, and they need to rebuild. Well, that's where a, a lot of your preparedness comes in. Um, Chelsea, it's, it, it, this is where the, you know, the, the paint hits the fan, so to speak, um, because, you know, one of the things that you're going to need to have is a real solid inventory uh, that's, that's photographic, that's visual of your, your contents. So, you know, like you go through your, you go through your house with your cell phone and you photograph all of your rooms and you open your closets and you photograph your closets and you open your drawers and you photograph what's in your drawers or you video it. Um, you do the same sort of thing with a major public institution only on a little bit of a, a higher level to document. If possible, um, you need to have an up-to-date uh, inventory of the outside of your building, all the, all the outside of your building and the roof of your building that might be done with a drone so that you have that. Um, you also need to have really good records that you evacuate if there's gonna be a big one and we know it's coming, that document all the um, recent improvements that you've made to your building because when you go to FEMA and you're looking for reimbursements or you go to the Small Business Association that offers emergency loans that nonprofit uh, cultural and historical organizations can apply for, you're going to have to document, you know, if you say, oh my goodness, we just put a new roof on our building year before last, and they're going to say, okay, what did it cost? <laughs> you know, you're going to have to document what you paid for them to start figuring out your financial reimbursements or how much they're going to loan you in order to recover it the way it was, you know, before the disaster hit. So all those things become extremely critical. You also should have a staff member who's already been trained in both GEMA and SEMA periodically offer this training in how to complete the paperwork that, that FEMA requires in order to get those financial reimbursements. Um, because I'll be quite frank about it, it's quite complicated, it's quite in-depth, and you can expect a fairly substantial waiting period um, before you actually see a reimbursement. So another part of your planning is if you really want to be able to recover, you've got to discipline yourself to have a reserve fund, save money, <laughs> save money. That's really important. You've got to have something you can draw on. It also helps to have a relationship already in place with the fire department. You know, once a year, you can invite them to come walk through your building. And so they know where the things that you value the most are, which floor they're on. on. You could also have what's called a Knox box put up on the outside of your building where it's, you know, above arm level but the fire department can get to it with their ladders. But what it has is keys to your building and the fire department keeps the key to the Knox box, which means that if they get an alarm at midnight on Christmas Eve, when nobody in your institution can be found in town, 
that they can get into your building to respond to that. So you can do that kind of thing. And then um, as far as other recovery, you know, with your collections, those things, there are national, what are called national heritage responders that are affiliated with the Foundation for the Advancement and Conservation. We have several of them in Georgia who have been trained and they actually know, what do I do with furniture? What do I do with clothes, photographs, artwork, all of those things. A number of them have done on the ground uh, work like with Maria in Puerto Rico and with Katrina in Mississippi. Um, they've actually handled things when they were being recovered from disaster. They will support people who are associated with public institutions and public collections. They have a hotline number and we actually have a training program going on in Georgia now, which is about to be completed um, with an on-site training session where we're gonna have a cadre of about 30 of these people that can be reached by phone to help counsel you, you know, to what to do. Now with your stuff at home, this is what I tell everybody to get. This is what I call a handy gadget. <laughs> this is the emergency salvage and response wheel. And it has, it's one of these things that spins and there's a little window at the top so you can see what it says. And on one side of it, it gives you all these instructions about your action steps in a disaster. If you have advanced warning, what do you do? What are your safety considerations? How do you start offsite? What do you do when you're offsite when you're trying to reach all of your staff and coordinate who's gonna do what? What do you document? You know, how do you protect things from looting? Doing your damage assessment, all of those components. And then on the other side, when you turn it over, it gives you the tips on how to actually salvage things. Framed artworks, photographs, books and paper, electronic records, furniture, ceramics, organic materials like baskets, all of that stuff, you know? And it's just, you can get one of these for $10. You buy one online from store.culturalheritage.org. If you want 10 or more, they're only $5. So, you know, everybody on your staff can buy one of these and put it in their to-go set. And it's invaluable. You know, it's just got all the basics that you need. The main, one of the best things to remember with anything that's paper or photographic is, in fact, with anything, don't put it in plastic bags and close them up when it's wet because that mold happens, wrinkling happens, lot of data, data. When you can get back to your photographs and your paper documents, you know, your marriage license, your baby's birth certificate, those things, um, string some old clothesline up use wooden uh, clothespins and ACDC, air circulating, dry and cool. You know, I used this one time, I came home from a trip, I found a package of shutterfly photographs laying on my doorstep <laughs> that had been drenched in rain. They were all wet. So what you do, you spread out a piece of plastic on your dining room table, you lay the photographs out individually flat if you can't get to the clothesline and the wooden clothespins. You set up fans on either end, put a dehumidifier next to them, and you just let the air blow over them. They didn't wrinkle, they didn't warp, they were okay. Maybe a little bit, in, you know, a couple of instances, but air circulating, dry and cool, ACDC. Um, that's one of the basic tenets um, for recovering things. So. Have I answered that question? I think I've forgotten what the original question was. There's just I think so you much. did and then some. I think it was awesome. <laughs> okay. 
Well, there, you know, there are lots of little tips like that. If you get one of those little handy wheels, you know, I, I, I have it in my to go pack and I pull it out from every time now and then when something happens at home, you know, somebody spills their glass of tea on my dining room table chair, <laughs> you know, what to do. And that you, you got it there right at your fingertips so you can remember. Well, but we are, again, we are fortunate in Georgia because we do have some national heritage responders who have who are in the Atlanta area who have actually been on site with Hurricanes Maria and Katrina and maybe several others. I think one of them has done three or four hurricanes um, aftermath, you know, helping institution. Um, and if you have a, the other thing that this, this wheel has on it is the various salvage techniques that are used by commercial vendors. If you have a third party disaster recovery vendor for your institution, and some of them also will do home and private collections, um, you want to know, you know, whether they should be air drying or freeze drying or what they should be doing to your collections. And they talk about these various salvage techniques. In Georgia, we have three um, major vendors who have worked with cultural and historical institutions. We have Belfour, um, BMS CAT and Polygon. And Belfour actually has a representative who has an office in Savannah and who lives in, in Bluffton, South Carolina and is a member of the city council, the city council there. They will do both um, institutional and private projects. But all three of them participated in 2019 in a major uh, disaster facilities summit that was sponsored up at Unicoi by um, the Georgia Public Library Service for all of the public library sites around Georgia. Um, and so, you know, we have them, they all have the 800-24-7-365 response numbers. But if you, if an institution establishes a relationship with one of them up front, um, then they already have some things in place that help them know what kind of equipment they would get, need to get down here to Chatham County in a disaster. And also we can put their information in that NCH dashboard that's in the Web EOC software for SEMA's Emergency Operations Center so that they know whether or not they can let their vehicles in. You know, they can go ahead and apply for re-entry permits and, and go through that process to make sure that their vehicles could get here to our institutions if they need help. So, you know, there are a lot of safeguards and, and things that are in place that we hope we never have to use. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Glenda, you've given us a lot of great information about uh... You know, our organizations, our private collections, that, that wheel was awesome. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention or that you'd like our listeners to know about SHARE or historical preservation? Well, I, I guess the thing that you all always say is, you know, don't put it off. Go ahead and, and make some plans now. You know, walk through your house and decide whether you're going to save your family Bible or your child's baby book or your wedding photographs, what it is, and make sure you have Containers on hand that are small enough to pack, that you can pack them in, but they're small enough for the smallest adult in your household to be able to lift and pack. <laughs> because once you get that kind of thing in containers, it's very, very heavy. Um, but my thought is always that um, our cultural institutions and our private collections are something that is very critical to our ability to be resilient as a community and to recover as individual households, individual families and as institutions and a community. 
because those are the things that tell us what we have already endured as people in our communities and our families, the challenges that we've already faced and overcome. And so that keeps within us that spirit that's necessary to say, yes, this was horrible, this is awful, but we are gonna, we are gonna overcome it. We're gonna recover from it. We're gonna move forward and you know, be better. And that's why, that's one of the reasons that those stories, those institutions, those collections, those buildings, those neighborhoods are so important, not just for our hospitality and tourism economy, but for the quality of life of our citizens and the ability of our community to survive and continue to be strong. Wow. Glenda, thank you so much for just your wealth of information and your wealth of knowledge. I mean, it's very clear. I hope to our listeners how passionate you are about this. And you've been such an amazing partner over the last couple of years. So thank you for, you know, sharing this knowledge with our listeners here today and with Mark and I. I feel like I personally came away with some information that I didn't think about before. That's I think that's, that's awesome. So I'm going to go buy one of those wheels, like definitely going to happen and going to include that in my emergency kit. So well, great. Awesome. I mean, that's the whole point. And it, it works two ways, Chelsea. I mean, we've learned an awful lot from SEMA as we've tried to become better prepared and more educated about how to deal with you all appropriately and how to make take appropriate actions ahead of time and afterwards. So it's a two-way street. Um, so I'm really glad that, you know, 10, 10 or 11 years ago, the national organization said, hey, Savannah, um, you all have something worth preserving. <laughs> Let's do something about making sure that the little bits and pieces are in place that would make it more possible for that to happen <laughs> if there's ever a need for it. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to see what's going to continue to happen over the next you know, couple of months. You already mentioned that there's that class that's going to be graduating some Georgia graduates so that we'll be able to contact them. So Glenda, maybe in a couple of months, we can have you come back and we can talk a little bit more about preserving Chatham County's history. It's a really important conversation. I'll be happy to do that if the need, <laughs> need is there. Awesome. We'll make Mark come back too. He'll be excited about it. Right. So we're going to keep Mark busy because he's our, he's our contact person. So um, he gets yes. calls from us and emails from us about all sorts of things all the time. <laughs> that is awesome. All right, listeners, we're going to wrap things up here. Thank you to everybody that was uh, stuck around and listened about conserving Chatham County's history. As you heard, we'll definitely have another one coming up in the future. Be sure to tune in next week when we continue our National Preparedness Week episodes, or excuse me, National Preparedness Month episodes with a different topic each week. Next week, we are going to be covering youth emergency kits. So if you've got family that is under the age of 18, they need a separate type of an emergency kit. And we'll talk about what should go inside of that next week. Until then, bye guys. Bye-bye. Enjoy it. <laughs>